Again, I will read verses 19 to 29, but I will only comment on verses 21 to 29, as we commented on those other verses last week. But just to bring a little continuity, we will read it. Let's read. Paul says, Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put into place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everyone or everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew, nor Greek, nor slave, nor free. There is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are, in, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, as according to the promise. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truly a lamp unto our feet, Father God. Your word reveals your mind. Your word reveals your heart. Your word is food to our souls, Father God. Your word stops us dead in our tracks, in our own personal lives, and brings us back into your plan of redemption, Father God. Brings us face to face with spiritual reality, Father God. It is where truth and theology meet face to face, Father God. And we are triumphant in Christ Jesus, the seed of Abraham. Father God, I pray that you open up our minds and open up our hearts and give us understanding that we can comprehend, Father God, the magnificent, awesome, stupendous plan of redemption that's found in Jesus Christ, Father God. Give us understanding of the ancient religion of Judaism, we ask. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. As we spoke about this as the weeks going by, and especially last week, when you get into the third chapter and the fourth chapter of Galatians, specifically the third chapter. It's an extremely hard chapter to read and comprehend and to uh, understand. Then we want to apply it personally to our life. Application's kind of challenging when you really know very little about the law of Moses. And as I said last week, it's important as Christians that we enter in 3,500 years ago into the Jewish religion and to understand how they worship God and the, what the Lord could do and what the law of Moses could not do, how it was limited. And when we understand the limitations of the law of Moses and demands that the law of Moses had, then we can look at what Christ has done for us and our worship of Christ can be that much deeper and that much sweeter as we understand that the curse that's on all humanity for not fulfilling the law has been taken by Christ for us. 
we spoke last week that people are in either one state or the other. Human beings are right now in a state of grace through Christ, or they're in a state of being under a curse. That is it. The Bible is very plain in the way it speaks about humanity and its relationship with God. They're either in the light or they're in the darkness. They're either saved or they're lost. They're either dead, they're alive, they're under a curse, or they're in a state of grace. They're in Adam or they're in Christ. They're children of the devil or they're children of God. The Bible is extremely clear. There is no gray zones. It speaks very authoritatively, and we should understand that. And when we get to this kind of text over here, it's something that most churches will ignore. Uh, they might go into the third chapter and pull out a couple of verses of Scripture and, and speak on it. But to give any kind of exposition to the whole third chapter, never mind the whole book of Galatians, is very challenging because it needs to be understood. As a matter of fact, I would challenge anybody, if you were to understand Paul, you would understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you take Paul's 13 epistles out of the New Testament, we would have very little understanding of the gospel. We could be saved. But we really wouldn't understand the mind and the heart of God without Paul's teaching. But then again, if you don't understand the law of the Old Testament, you won't understand Paul because Paul speaks about it all the time. You won't understand the book of Galatians. You won't understand the book of Romans. You can take these two epistles and throw them away if you have no under working understanding of the law. So for us, when John teaches and I teach, we try to break it down and slow up and digest this in a way that you can have a working understanding of the law of Moses and to know the importance of it, that it's not just there to quote, it's there to understand and that truth needs to be explained. It needs to be expounded on so that our hearts can be filled. So I say that as a disclaimer because when it comes to teaching out of this text, it's kind of challenging. Um, I'll be honest with you. It is not easy. It's not easy just to teach. It's probably easier to teach it and lecture on it than it is to really apply it to our life. It's easy to be biblical. It's easy to be relative. But it's extremely hard to be biblical and relevant at the same time. Very hard to stay true to what the scripture says and then make it applicable for our life. I will do the best I can. As we said last week, if you read in the Old Testament, it's divided into two halves. It's divided into the promises of Abraham and the law of Moses. The whole Old Testament is understood like that. If you don't understand that, then you cannot read the Old Testament. You will get thrown to and fro, left and right. There is the religion of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They lived a very simple, faithful life to Jehovah. They were called to walk blameless and believe in me. That's all they were called to do. There was no sacrificial system. There was no commandments. There was no civic duty. There, there was nothing. They were to simply obey God in a very juvenile, elementary way. Basically what they were called to do is just don't get caught up in the paganism of the people around you. Worship me. Hold on to the promises of you'll be a great nation. Hold on to the promises that all the nations of the world will be blessed for you. Hold on to the promise that this one day I will give you the land of Palestine. It will be yours and for your children. And one day that your posterity will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. Just hold on to these simple promises. And I will bless you. That was the religion of the patriarchs. 
Then we had the religion of Moses. When Moses came along, God did a lot more. God gave Moses commandments. And not just 10 commandments, God gave well over 600 commandments in the Old Testament that deferred to how Israel was supposed to live. There was a ceremonial or spiritual uh, uh, part of the law. And that was the sacrificial system. How does a sinner approach God? There was a certain protocol that a Hebrew had to go through to get close to God. And even then, God was still behind a veil. And they, they just knew God was in the room, but that was all they knew. And for their sins to be forgiven, they would have to bring a turtle dove, or they would have to bring a pigeon, or they would have to bring a goat, or a lamb, or an oxen, and they would go to the priest, and the priest would be a, a sort of mediator between them and God, and they would slay the lamb, or they would slay the animal, and there'd be some sort of confession, and there'd be some sort of uh, counseling that would take place. And, but that was the best that the Old Testament religion could do. There was a, a great gap between the transcendence of God and the people. To understand the Old Testament is very important because you and me today, I don't know about you, but I was really enjoying worship. Did you enjoy worship? Did you quietly confess some sins in your heart like I did today? Am I the only one? Yeah, worship has a way of doing that. It brings out the best and the worst of me. It reminds me of just how sweet Jesus is. Uh, and to do that all because I'm not under the Old Testament law, my religion, your religion, is closer to that than to Abraham than it is to Moses. Abraham had a simple religion. Paul talks about being having a simple devotion to Jesus Christ. It is important to understand the great dichotomy between the faith of Abraham, and the law of Moses. But as we've been speaking on uh, this text out of Galatians, there were certain Judaizers, certain Jewish so-called Christians, we don't even know if they're really Christian or not, but they were telling the Galatian church that faith in Christ is good, but you still have to keep the law of Moses and be more Jewish so that you would be accepted by God and accepted by the Jewish nation. If you didn't be circumcised, then really you can't be saved. Salvation and faith in Christ is good, but you need to be circumcised, you need to become Jewish, you need to follow certain dietary laws and washings and Sabbaths and new moons and so on, and etc., etc., along with faith in Christ, Paul would have nothing to do with this. He fought this tooth and nail like we all of us should do today. Nothing supplements the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is nothing else ever again to be necessary for your salvation but simple childlike faith that Christ is the Son of God who died for your sins. Amen. Now, you and me would say amen to that. It warms our heart, but if you're a witnessing Christian, and you're out there and you're talking about Jesus, you will find that a lot of people don't like this teaching. They think it sort of undermines the greatness of God. That if you're forgiven just by grace, you're going to sneak around and sin. You know, try to get away with something. But if you keep the law, the people that keep law, they're not sneaking around. They just happen to have their act together. 
let me tell you a secret about human nature. Everybody is sneaking around. Those saved by grace and those who think they're going to go to heaven by good works. We are imperfect people. God has accepted us by simple faith in Jesus Christ. He will work out all the secret things. Amen? Amen? Because God will not be mocked. So you don't have to worry about running around throwing cold water on people. If someone is abusing the grace of God, Jesus will show up and Jesus will take care of it. So it's not our job to run around telling people like that. So anyway, I think uh, I, I've made my point. I want to get into the text over here today and speak about what Paul is speaking about. He's making defense about that salvation is purely by faith in Jesus Christ. There would be two questions that the Judaizers, there would be two questions that a devout Jew that believed in Jesus would ask. What about the law? If it's just Jesus, now what about the law? It's defined us as a nation for 1,600 years. Are you telling me it doesn't exist no more? Are you telling me that Jesus is in and the law is out? Moses is gone? Uh, no more mor uh, moral law? No more commandments? No more love thy neighbor anymore? Am I, am I just to believe and, and, and just live as I please now? Surely there's something that has to define us as a people. So Paul is answering that question. Last week we spoke about it in verse 19. It says, why then the Lord? And Paul says it was added, added because of transgression. And we found out last week that the law, in one sense, had the ability to reveal what's really in human beings' hearts. Because as human beings, we are very easily self-deceived. We have a very high opinion of ourselves. We think that God doesn't see really what's going on. We carry the secret hope that I'm a little better than everybody else and so on and so forth and that God won't judge me according to my sins. But the law of Moses says everybody has failed. The law, the Ten Commandments did not come to save men. It really came to condemn men. And under the burden of this knowledge that you cannot keep the law, and I'll stop right there, fast forward to today, because few of us or any of us are identifying with the law of Moses as a Jew. We're not. But in Orthodox Christianity today, sometimes within Roman Catholicism, sometimes within uh, Greek Orthodoxy and, and other ones, there's this sort of, you got to do a little more in order to be accepted by God. Just simple faith in Jesus Christ is not enough. There is a certain amount of uh, works oriented. If it's just uh, attendance or it might be mass, it might be penance, it might be confession, it might be sacraments. If you do this and you're a good so on and so forth Orthodox Christian, then you'll have salvation. But we know that many of us coming out of that realize that that really leaves you in a state of confusion. And this is why it does that. No one wants to think they're bad enough to go to hell. And nobody wants to say they're good enough to go to heaven. So it's sort of this state of suspended animation that just doesn't work. Religion, it does not work. It will never work. No one's good enough to go to heaven at all. But Christ came to pay the price. And Paul makes it very clear that the law came. One of the functions of the law was to reveal to mankind his failures. 
in our, our application last week, we spoke about how important it is not to soft pedal the gospel and just, well, well, Jesus sort of loves you and just believe in Jesus and everything's going to be okay. And what we try to stay away from is pointing people lovingly to their failures to keep the law, their failure to love all people, their failure to love God, their failure to keep the commandments. So what happens, we are uncomfortable when people are convicted by sin. That is a very dangerous place to be. You have to recognize when someone is sitting there under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, realizing they are sinners. Nervous laughter is not good. You don't have to break the tension with a joke. You have to learn to allow that to sit there and convict men and women of their sin so that they can turn to Christ and be saved. It is really important to understand that function of the law and that many people will avoid that part because it's just an uncomfortable, uncomfortable feeling. But truly, it is a deep expression of love to sit there and tell people lovingly that they broke the commandments of God and that you cannot be saved by trying to obey them. We need to come to Christ. As we go along over here, you know, uh, we're going to find out a little more between the law and between the gospel. We're going to define two things. Paul is talking about something called the promises. Those promises are the promise that were made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, in Genesis chapter 15, Genesis chapter 17. Basically that Abraham was going to be a great person. He was going to be a great nation. All the nations of the world would be blessed for him. His posterity were going to own the promised land. They were going to have to wait 400 years in slavery. Then they were going to be delivered. And God was going to raise them up and make them a great nation. And great kings and men were going to come from them. And so on and so forth. There's probably about 12 promises all together. But Paul puts a New Testament twist on that. And now it is salvation. The greatest blessing God can give a soul is not the land of Palestine. The greatest thing God can give any human being is the forgiveness of their sins and eternal life. Today, the analogy is that we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. So when we talk about uh, the promise to Abraham, we're really talking about New Testament salvation as it's taught in the New Testament. And we talk about the law, we'll just concentrate it down, it's the Ten Commandments. And it's the moral law that, you know, people try to be saved by keeping the moral law. Let's go to verse 21 and we'll break this down. Paul says, a rhetorical question that somebody would ask him, a devout Jew would ask this question. Paul, they would say, is the law then contrary to the promises that God made to Abraham? If salvation is just by faith, then what about these promises? What about the law? Paul would say, certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. God wouldn't give his son. God wouldn't crucify his son. God wouldn't give his best. God wouldn't crush his son if a law could save us. But God gave His Son, and God crushed His Son. So if God gave His Son, and God crushed His Son for salvation, that means there is no law that can possibly save us. There had to be another way. And that's what Paul is saying here. Paul is using the power of reason. Is the law contrary? The point is this. If salvation 
and the favor of God can be secured solely on the basis of works, then Christ died for nothing. When we look into this snapshot of Abraham's faith, we are seeing the gospel in seed form. Is the law contrary to the promise? Of course not. One promise, the promises bring life, the law brings death. Paul assures us that the spiritual renewal and vitality that the human life needs only comes by faith. By following commandments, he says here in verse 22, but on the contrary, the scripture or the law imprisoned every human being under sin and the dominion and the power of it. What he says this, the moral law of Moses or any religion as that is a constant reminder of our inability to perfectly keep and obey the law of God from the heart. He says here it holds people down under sin. It imprisons them. It confines them. The word means to cast the net as you were catching fish. And that's what the Lord did. But this is God's grand and loving design. And we're going to speak about that a little bit now, a little bit in application, to show the awesome nature of Christ and, and, and his life and his death for salvation full and free for sinners who do not deserve it. The whole Old Testament points to man's failure. Listen to Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention and the thoughts of his heart were only evil continuously. Genesis 8. I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth up. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Psalm 14, 2 and 3. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there is any who understand. Who, is there any who seek after God? God says they have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none that does good. No, not even one. In this way, the scripture highlights the failures of man. When Paul looked into the Old Testament, he didn't see the ability and grand design of man. He saw the constant failure of man. So the point of all this is that if man, if the scriptures point to man's failure, then man has to look to the promises of Abraham for life. And that's exactly what God gave us. In the seed of Abraham, which is Jesus Christ, is the life for all men. For death came through man, one man, Paul says in Romans 5, and life came through one man, Jesus Christ, for all those who believe. Listen to verse 23. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. That means to have an epiphany. Paul is thinking about this with 2020 hindsight. Paul could have never saw this reality until he was born again. He could have never understood the great 
darkness the nation of Israel was in, or the rest of the world was in, until he was born again, then he can look back into the scriptures and realize that the law saves no man. And he should know. In his own words, he said, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, I was born in the tribe of Benjamin, I was circumcised on the eighth day, as according to the law, I was a Pharisee, and I was a persecutor of the church, I was blameless. But yet I counted all as rubbish for knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. It does not save. He was able to turn a persecutor into a preacher. It is important to understand that no law can change the human heart. No rules, no regulations can ever change a leopard's spot. Something supernatural, something great, something divine, something gracious and merciful from God was needed to step into humanity and change the direction of human history. And that's what Jesus Christ did. And when a person puts his faith in Jesus Christ, he is not under the curse of the law anymore. He becomes a child of grace, born again through adoption. He's in a state of grace now and forever. Paul says here in verse 24, So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. He's, he, what he's doing, he's, he's schooling the Galatians, and he's schooling me and you today of why the law was there, why God gave the commandments. He's schooling us, and prayerfully you and I are learning something today. The law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Paul gives this great figure of speech, this, this guardian, it means as a, a servant working to tutor a child, to instruct a child, to discipline a child. There's something about the law that many people miss. Think about two and a half million Hebrews living like slaves for the better part of 400 years, being released out of Egypt. The Egyptians were throwing the money at them. Now they're going to go into the desert and they were going to beat and devour one another. They had a slave mentality. What the law did was this. The law gave them structure as a nation. It took a bunch of slaves and gave them a national identity. It gave them a form of worship to worship Jehovah God. It gave them priests and elders and leaders to guide them and watch over them. It gave them a civil law, how they can relate to one another. It gave them law on military. It gave them law on agriculture. It gave them law on civility. It taught them how to be human. It taught them how to be a theocracy, one nation under God. The law was not just there to say you're a sinner. The law was there to structure their lives. If we fast forward today, are we any better? When we come to Christ, and we come from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and we bring our prejudices, and we bring our idiosyncrasies, and we bring our pride, 
and we bring all the hidden things in our own heart, what governs us today? Is it not the law of love? Is it not what the Holy Spirit does in our heart when a man is born again? How instantaneously you can start to gravitate towards people at one time you would want nothing to do with? To really genuinely care for someone you wouldn't give the time of day for? To really be concerned for the cares and the needs of other human beings? Was that in your heart prior to being born again? What makes this work? What makes black and white, rich and poor, pauper and prince come together? What makes it work? There's no more. Is it not the law of love working in your heart? That's what the New Testament teaches us. Something has to hold God's people together. And that's what Paul is saying here. For 1600 years, the law kept these slave mentality people and made them a nation. A nation that was going to be a blessing to the rest of the world one day. Let's go to verse 25 to 29. Listen to this great story. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. We don't need the Lord is what he's saying. We don't need circumcision anymore. We don't need the Sabbath. We don't need new moons. We don't need festivals. We don't need washings. We don't need all these things anymore. For in Christ Jesus, we're all sons. We're not children anymore. Under a guardian. We're sons of God. We're, we're, we're fully grown up now. We receive the Holy Spirit. We're sons of God. We're co-heirs with Christ. Just by faith, God has done a great work within our heart, is what he's saying. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew, nor there is Greek, nor there is slave, nor there is free, there is male, nor there is female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, according to the promise. Now that faith has come, now that God's grand design, and his full work of redemption that Jesus Christ paid for on the cross, religion as we know it, or as they knew it, is no longer necessary ever again. When you are living in all your interpersonal relationships, what's guiding your life? What's guiding your heart in every interpersonal relationship? Is it Thou shalt not covet. Who in the world ever said that when you're out on the street? <laughs> Can you even memorize the Ten Commandments? You know the one reason I can? Because someone asked me in the gym, what are the Ten Commandments? I went, da, 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 da. <laughs> so I made home, I went home that day and I memorized it ever since I remembered, but that's the only reason I know it. Isn't it the law of love working in your heart? Isn't it the constant reminder of the Holy Spirit teaching us how to live, teaching us that which is right? When we fail, do we have to think about getting a pigeon? Do we have to think about getting a goat? Do we have to think about getting a lamb? Do we have to think about this? Don't we just run to Christ, the sacrificial lamb, instantaneously? Don't we just sit there as we're shaking someone's hair and smiling and saying, God, forgive me for the inner attitudes of my heart I have towards the person's hand I'm shaking right now? Am I alone? Are we not kind? 
constantly asking the Lord to forgive us? Aren't we constantly asking the Lord to strengthen us? This is the New Testament. This is the religion we're saved by. This is why it is flowing through our veins. This is what it means to be a mature son of God. That God has taken us out of religion. He has taken the bib away. He has taken the pacifier away. And he's given us freely of his Holy Ghost. He has given us a new name. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. And this is what Paul's whole argument here is, is that the Judaizers were saying, it is national Israel that only God works through. And Paul is saying, it is not national Israel anymore. It is those who are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Jew or non-Jew makes no difference. Circumcision, uncircumcision makes no difference. Rich or poor makes no difference. The kingdom of God is advanced by anybody who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. People still fight that today. How can we, in application, possibly create a harmony between the promises and the law? Number one, only by seeing that men inherit the promises of God because they realize they cannot keep the law. When you're talking about Christ, don't ever just say, just believe in Jesus. Whatever you do. That's, don't, don't do that. I sat down and I was having lunch the other day. And there was four people next to me that I had, I knew some of them, didn't know all of them, they were talking about a fifth party which I was privileged to know. And this fifth party that was not there had came to me and asked me they weren't doing well, they asked for prayer. They revealed that this fifth party is really not doing well at all and might be dying. And I said, how sad. And one person said, but they know Jesus, they believe in Jesus. And another person said, yeah, but they also believe in reincarnation. <laughs> and another person said, but at least they believe in Jesus. That is not salvation. That is not salvation. That might make people feel comfortable that a dying person is confessing Jesus. But if your confession of Jesus and reincarnation are in the same breath, you're not born again. This is serious, serious, serious. It's not just about believing. It is serious that we talk to people about the depth of sin that all of us have broken the law of God. And that every human being is truly under the wrath and under the curse of God until they step into being a child of grace. Let's never soft pedal. Because of that, someone's thinking they're going to heaven. I don't know the, the personally someone's heart. Of course I don't know. But when it comes to that, that's the kind of stuff that would keep me up at night being concerned for someone's soul. So let's be careful with that. When it comes to that, understand something. The law is important. The law points to our sin, which gets a person to look to Christ for salvation. In the last four verses, he says, you are in Christ. You are baptized into Christ. You have put on Christ. You are all one in Christ. And you are Christ's. In four verses, 
It's all about Jesus now. It's all about a new creation. It is all about a new humanity. There are no distinctions between Jew and Gentile no more, slave and free no more, male and female no more, rich and poor no more. It is one of the, the shortcomings of the New Testament church to think that prejudices and snobbery and cliques are still up and alive in the Christian church today. It is horrible. Paul fought tooth and nail against this kind of New Testament hypocrisy of being baptized into Christ, but yet people holding distinctions between one another. We are called to make sure we go out of our way to befriend all people. It is our job to make sure that we go out of our way to befriend people. No one has a special dispensation not to do it. We are all called, as Paul says, to be more concerned for the needs of others than even ourselves. He says, outdo one another in love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that as children of grace, Lord God, Jesus Christ has taken the curse for us by becoming a curse, God. We thank you, O oh God, that as New Testament believers, we understand that there was a function for the law. But now that the promise of Abraham has come, that the seed of the woman, that the seed of Abraham, that Christ has come, now we step into a new relationship with you, O oh God. We are made right by faith and faith alone, Father God. And we step into this new covenant with better promises as you give us freely of your Holy Spirit and that you give us a self-control and a joy and a kindness and a goodness and a generous and a humility and a patience and a long-suffering and a love, Father God, that the law could never do, Father God. The law told us to run but never empowered us to do it. But your Holy Spirit inspires us to live godly lives. Your Holy Spirit inspires us to say no to the flesh and say no to worldly passions and say yes to godly things, Father God. Continue to do a great and a grand work within our hearts, we ask, Father God, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.